Welcome to Path to Story, a Warhammer Age of Sigmar Path to Glory podcast where we focus on the lore, rules, and storytelling of narrative play. Thank you for joining us once again as we pitch our tents, set up camp, and share our tales from along the Path to Story. Your companions around the campfire this episode are... I'm Harry, but today I am Heldy Swift, crazed castaway of the Ebbing Leviathan. Ooh, crazed castaway. I mean, everyone's seen the movie Castaway, so we kind of know where that's going. Right. Uh, is uh, there is there a any sort of non-crazed castaway? Right, yeah, like I want to see the the, the well calm. put together castaway. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> just uh, just living my best life here on this yeah. island. Just me and my best friend who's a volleyball. Yep. I'm Will, but today I am Fenray Swift Serpent, the egotistical cutthroat of the Bountiful Fleet. Hmm. Sounds like our characters could be friends, or at least compatriots. Yeah, or we were until... Until I got passed away. Yeah, by the cutthroat. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) It it seems very much like, yeah, yeah, you go to that island and scout it out. We're going to park we'll meet up with you after we park we'll see you later and just right, sail right. away they should be back any minute now yeah any minute <laughs> but unfortunately we may not be back any minute because our armies are out on crusade that's right which is to say that this episode is focused entirely on the brand new cities of sigmar uh battle tome um there's been a lot of cool things everyone's kind of known what's in this book for a bit um yep. you know because the internet does what the internet do but we're able to finally talk about it and i'm very excited to uh share our thoughts oh i'm super pumped about this battle tome as yeah. we've already let on in previous episodes when they were previewing the models um this is something i've been looking forward to for a long time yeah i Hmm. It's funny because I have always said like the the previous battle tomes and the way they're set up and the way the old models were or why I haven't done a human army yet because I I felt like they haven't done what I needed them to do for this setting. Right. And they've definitely fixed that. But also my cities of Sigmar army I'm working on isn't humans. So, (laughs) (laughs) but I'm sure you'll get the new models and add them into your cities as well. So. Oh, for sure. It, the problem is I now have too many cities uh, and I'm working to try to consolidate them. Uh, right. I'll talk about that in a bit. Uh, before we go into the Battle Tome review, um, is there any non-Cities of Sigmar hobby that you've done? Hmm. Let's see. No. I've looked at some of my non-Cities of Sigmar. Oh, Actually, take that back. What I have worked on right after we finished the recording the last episode talking about the uh, new Harbingers book is I went and got a copy of that book and I dug out my um, original Harbinger of Decay, the, the old metal one that they had created back in, oh goodness, what was that? 
fifth, sixth edition Warhammer Fantasy Battles. Um, it was the the Nurgle Lord on on horseback, basically. Yeah. Um, and so I got him rebased, and he's on the right size base. Um, working to build that up because he was on a resin base before, which so I had to do some sawing with a mask. Oh, and, yeah. Um, and then glue that onto the the appropriate size base, and then uh, super glue sand all over that. So I got to get the the base repainted and touch up the model itself because he's metal. So obviously yep. the they chip from time to time. Um, but I'm excited to add him into my Slaves to Darkness army. Nice. Yeah, Let's bring see. him in as um, your as the harbinger. harbinger. Yeah. yeah. Yep. Play sense. the quest and uh, get that guy added in there. Um, I also used the, uh, what was it, the old, um, what was that, Battle for Skull Pass, I think. Uh, oh. I'm blanking out. What are naked dwarves that are doomed to find their, their oh, death in combat? Slayer. That's the word I'm yeah. looking for. <laughs> yeah. So the, the plastic slayer from the battle for skull pass, um, I had him lying around. And so I went ahead and put him on top of a tactical rock while he's leaping off of it. And that will be my Grimhold exile stand in until I pick up the new models. So that way my son can put the order harbinger into his army nice. as well. So I don't know if he cares much for putting a dwarf in his Lumineth army, but at least he has the option now. Yeah. I mean, there's gotta be a good reason for why a Grimhold exile is going to be running around with the Lumineth. Yeah. I mean the, the Grimhold exiles from what I've read in the book are are pretty determined to do whatever they have to to carry on yeah. the uh, the flame literally yeah. Yeah. of of uh, their old lodge and so if his path leads him in the same direction as these elves he's going to just kind of knuckle down and do what he has to do well and does your son have any of the I can't think of their names the hammer elves in his list oh yeah yeah he, he loves alareth so the alareth then have their own connection to the mountains maybe yeah. they're in search of a mountain that he can cast his flame into oh that would be a good that would be a good connection i'll, I'll yeah. talk that over with him yeah. yeah mountain mountain elves with hammers and mountain dwarves with hammers yep although he has axes because it's the older model yeah because it's the old model yeah, yeah. but the, the concept's still there for sure yeah, and then for myself, kind of a preview for when we get to our cities of Sigmar hobbying is I've been firing up the old 3D printer again, mm-hmm. and I printed what will be my Grimhold Exile. It is a Titanforge sculpt. It's that oh, wow. named, I can't think of his name, but it's the Chaos Dwarf who's yeah. stilts. Right, right. Um, so he's going to stand in as my Grimhold Exile. Uh, Very cool. For my chaotic Cities of Sigmar Force. Right. Um, it's going to be a weird series of coalitions. And after we kind of break down how the army works, I'll explain how my narrative will shape and how that actually created this army idea for me. Yep. Yeah. And without further ado, let's just get into it.
Yep, let's do it. Let's talk about this book so that we can explain what's going on with our armies. Yeah. Um, and unlike past episodes where we just broke down the Path to Glory sections, we are actually going to break down uh, the changes to the army because this is a one big release and two a huge change to how this army worked in the past, which will have a fundamental change to how its path to glory works. And it's best to just start at the beginning because it's a very good place to start. It's usually the best. Yeah. Uh, first things first, scrolling through the battle tome, the big thing that kind of sticks out to me is the orders that exist in this army. Uh, Harry, how would you explain the order system to a new player? Ooh, I'm not sure that I've fully wrapped my uh, my mind around how they work, so I apologize now. Um, but from what I understand of them, they are kind of like command abilities yep. in that they have to be given by certain um, heroes in your army. Um, and that each each hero gets to give one order uh, each battle round, correct? Yeah. At the start of each battle round, after the priority roll has been made, you can give one order to each hero. See, yep. I'm glad you mentioned that because I, I didn't pre-read this again. And my assumption was just once per game. And that was already strong. So the fact it's once per battle round is... Oh yeah, it, <laughs> it's it's a really powerful mechanic. Um, and and this is going to be a theme throughout this entire review of the battle tome. There's a lot of really good rules. Um, yeah, there's some grumblings. Okay, a lot of grumblings online, as online is prone to have a lot of grumblings about the the relative strength of this battle tome. Um, but until it that. gets out into the wild and get some some actual games played, we won't know whether that's just fear mongering or if it's actually a really strong battle tone. Yeah. So we'll see. I um, I'll say my theory, which is that it's partially fear mongering because there are like just looking at it, there are some really cool things going on. But there are a fair number of handicaps I've seen just going right. through. And I'll point out those sections as I get to them. Right. And the fact that these orders are ones per battle round is pretty strong. Because some of these things are wild. Because they're like hidden orders too. You don't mm -hmm. necessarily... Your opponent doesn't know the orders you've given to each hero. And you have a large selection. Yeah. And that can be a real issue if it's your turn and you are facing against the cities of Sigmar army and you decide to charge someone. Right. Uh, because you could be countercharged. If you try shooting at them, they might be able to shoot back at you. Right. So it means that the cities of Sigmar army is a little unpredictable yeah. as, as an opponent. But like you said, their hands are tied in that you do have to choose the order at the beginning of your your turn or at the beginning of the battle round, rather. Yeah, so like not um, even your turn. Yeah, depending on whether you're going first or second in the turn. Um, you're going to pick those orders ahead of time. So if you've got the second turn, you end up rolling for the second turn, you could end up picking orders that don't apply the way you wanted them to. 
Yeah. Um, and that um, can be problematic. Yeah. The other cool thing about the, the way these orders work is they have to be given by a hero. There are some general orders that the whole army can take, such as the, the counter charge or being able to advance. Right. But then there are other orders that are um, like race locked. There are some that are strictly for humans, some that are strictly for Dwarden, and some that are strictly for elves. So if you're right. going up against a Dwarden army, you can kind of, you have a smaller list of options. So as a mm-hmm. Dwarden player, you kind of want to build your army to make the most use of those orders that are available to you. That's right. As cool as it would be to have dwarves doing return fire and suppressing fire since they have uh, the iron drakes. Unfortunately, that's just not an option. Yeah, those are just human. And, and this battle tome is definitely weighted towards the human units in the battle tome. Part of that is because this is to represent cities of Sigmar as they embark on the Dawnbringer Crusades. Um, and and part of it, too, is they're releasing a bunch of cool new human models. So that's going to be the focus of the battle tome. Yeah. Um, I will say, kind of on that note, another neat thing about this battle tome is both lore-wise and rules-wise, it's very much written to a specific point in time or, or period of time in the Age of Sigmar story, yeah. which we don't always see that with with battle tomes, right? Right. You know, you, if you look at the Auric battle tome, the Auric war clans, yeah, you have the emergence of the cruel boys, which seem to, because it was a new range of models, they seem to have come out of nowhere, come out of the swamps, you know? Um, and so it represents this new threat in Gur, um, which we have told in a couple of stories. But it's really like if you make an army out of that battle tome. It could have occurred during the realm wars. It could have occurred during the soul wars. It could occur anytime, really era of the beast. This cities of Sigmar battle tome represents cities of Sigmar armies. As we embark on the Dombringer crusades, it's really tied to that specific point in the lore. Yeah. No, a hundred percent. Especially with the way the like the rules are listed, and especially when we get to the Path to Glory rules. Uh, but especially even in the like narrative and lore itself, right. which um, you can hear more about in the Mortal Realm Story Phase episode. That it's a great episode came out earlier, is recorded later, um, <laughs> as in recorded tomorrow. Um, but yeah, because like most battle tomes, like you were saying, like oh, they add a few more things. And like the cruel boys, that's because that's a whole new faction that got added. But if we're looking at Skaven, it's like, here's your one hero and here's your paragraph that says rats are more feral in the air of beasts. Enjoy the edition. We'll catch you next time. Right. This entire book is based around the fact that this is a pivotal changing moment in yep. the history of the mortal realms. And yep. I think it's because the fact that they're changing humans like solidifies that. I don't know. It feels like there's like been like a turn in how people have been looking at the realms that you don't see very often in this game. Like I think the new slaves of darkness battle tome had that a little bit because they're the yeah. big antagonists. 
But even like with the Seraphon relaunch, it didn't really happen. Like it's super cool for Seraphon players, massive changes for everyone else. It's like, ah, oh, ho-hum. like it, it's cool, but it doesn't affect us. So right. Kind of does affect every, everyone interacts with them. Yeah. And yeah, you're absolutely right. So maybe I'm biased because I play Slaves of Darkness and I'm, you know, ready to fully get on the Cities of Sigmar train here. But those two battle tomes specifically in this edition, I felt have really gone down to like the the gritty street level view yeah. and are, are focusing on what are average guys doing in these armies. Um, Slaves to Darkness shifted somewhat away from the, the Varengard, you know, Archeon and Friends view of, of that army to all the cultists are now battle line. And we want you to build armies that are just full of humans and other cultists doing chaosy things. Cities of Sigmar is going to really be that way where they're looking less at like, who can you take as coalition? Is it, you know, a half storm cast with some plucky humans uh, coming alongside or a Lumineth army with some humans coming alongside. This is now focused entirely on the average Joe humans and, yeah. and their efforts in the mortal realms. Very much so, which is also kind of, just to call it out now, one of the things I think is a handicap for this army compared to the past is there isn't coalition anymore. No, they're gone. Um, so you can't bring half Stormcast and a quarter Sylvaneth and just do living cities. And the only like cities of Sigmar units you have are just guns that can teleport. Right. Um, so, yeah, they've gotten rid of coalition altogether. And instead, now it's just a wide open field for allies. So, you know, the allies for Cities of Sigmar now are everyone, pretty much everyone from Order. You've got Daughters of Cain, Fire Slayers, Ideneth Deepkin, Karajan Overlords, Lumineth Realm Lords, Stormcast Eternals, and Sylvaneth, except for Greywater Fastness because Which the Sylvaneth perfect. are still upset at them. Yeah. Uh, yeah. We still won't have Seraphon allies. Nope. Which makes me sad because the book specifically calls out Seraphon, like not this book, the Seraphon battle tome specifically calls out them working with cities of Sigmar. So in the Seraphon book, are cities of Sigmar on the allies list? I don't think so, which is no. the funny thing of like, oh, that, that's unfortunate. Yeah. Um, yeah. But it says like they help out Dawnbringer crusades by like helping guard nexus points or clearing the path. So the crusade has an easier journey. But they also might just kill everyone if they think they're chaos corrupted. <laughs> right. So you never know. It's it's the the quote unquote classic line from the uh, what was that latest Jurassic Park? Humans and dinosaurs just can't coexist. <laughs> they just can't. <laughs> <laughs> um, which is funny because the book also says that skinks do live in Hammer Hall because it's like the cosmopolitan city. Interesting. Yeah, super cool. That is. I, I love the narrative in this. There's a, so much cool stuff. Yeah. Speaking of the different the different cities like Hammerhall. Yes. Yeah. And on the topic of coalition versus allies, one of the things I like about that is it allows you to open up um your own narrative possibilities for your cities of Sigmar army. Yep. So if you always wanted an army based in Gur, 
but you wanted them to have Lumineth allies, you can do that now. You can take an Excelsis army with Lumineth allies. You, you're not locked into a settler's game if that's yeah. what you wanted to play. Yeah. Yeah, let's move right into um, the different cities. We're going to skip past the section of artifacts, command traits, spell lores, things like that. Um, they're super cool. I recommend taking a look at all of them. It's just so hard for us to just like pinpoint specific ones. Right. But can I can I highlight one thing on the I spell would. lore? Please uh, do. Just as a note, and we'll we'll get to this more when we get to the units, but your battle mages have changed drastically in all the winds of magic, um, quote unquote, or or realm based uh, spells have moved off of the uh, battle scroll for that or the war scroll for that unit. And they're now a separate lore of magic. So you yeah. have the collegiate ar- arcane lore of magic. So if you bust open your rules and you're looking for, hey, where can I set up my battle mages? Um, the, you know, their spells are all gone. Now it's a separate lore of magic. So you're going to have to pick one, assign it to your battle mage. Effectively works about the same. You just don't get that additional spell for your battle mage like you you would have in the past. Yeah. One cool thing I love about it is you've got on the Alchemite Warforger, the new uh, shamanic mage. On his war scroll, he even says like, oh, and if you can get a new spell from your spell lore, you have to pick Transmutation of Lead. Right, right. Because that's the wind of magic he does. Yeah. They have a couple more of those. We'll, we'll get to that when we get to the War Scrolls. But yeah, if if in the past um, a certain type of mage was realm aligned, it is going to be locked to that spell. Yeah. So I think that's a, a neat way of getting through that. Yep. yep. Um, one other thing real quick. Um, yeah. Just certain spell lores and even the prayers say like available to elf wizards only including unique units, but I don't know of any unique elf wizards. Yet. Yet. Same thing with uh, the rune lores. They're for Dwarden priests, including unique units. I don't know of any yet. Mm-mm. Not for Cities of Sigmar. No. It, it's interesting why they would call that out if there's no one there yet. I think my guess is going to be something like Underworlds. Yeah, that's usually where we're seeing unique models show up, um, yeah. especially if it's between battle tomes. Yeah, they tend to get released with Underworlds, occasionally with Warcry, but usually they're not unique if they're with Warcry. Yeah, if they're with Warcry. Um, with that out of the way, let's go into the free cities. We yep. have eleven different subfactions to choose from. That's amazing. And each of these do provide their own cool tools for your army and can really help shape your narratives. Uh, this is also kind of where I think the handicap comes into play. Uh, right. just the rest, like the rest of this book, a lot of these can kind of be locked by um, like human-specific units or just human in general, and it's... I think it's going to close off some of those list building capabilities people are used to. Yeah. The different cities definitely, they're each going to have their own flavor and they're, they're each going to kind of push you 
to a certain style of play. Yeah. They're, they're not to the point where they say you, you must take this type of unit or you you can't take this type of unit in this city, but they're definitely going to give bonuses to specific types of units. Uh, a good example is the city of Excelsis. Uh, it has its generic bonus that's kind of available to all armies, which is you can add one to the wounds characteristic of friendly monsters. Yep. And then it gets more specific of your free guild cavaliers can do mortal wounds in a specific instance uh, because a fun little narrative thing. They don't ride horses. They look like horses. But the right. horses in Excelsis are carnivorous. They're more like the Varengard horses. Like, yep. like They're I definitely think, more bestial. Yeah, definitely more bestial. So, like, I like that. If you are playing a, like, Scourge Privateer or Order Serpentis-based army, where it's all about capturing monsters, mm-hmm. you might want to go Excelsis for that bonus. Right. But you're not going to get the full benefit without human cavaliers. So that's sort of the the trade-off when you're forming your narrative and looking at these sub-factions, you're still going to get benefits. Yeah. And, but, and it also opens up the possibility for great creative modeling. So yeah. maybe maybe you don't want your cavaliers riding horses. Maybe you want them riding cold ones or you want them riding you know, some other beast that, that you've converted over. Maybe you go with wolf riders. Um, And you put your Cavaliers on those. There's a lot of possibilities here to represent that bestial cavalry um, as opposed to the horses. Or you go with the horses and you just say they're a lot more ferocious. Yeah. Um, Something I'm going to say now, a declarative statement that also is the foundation of my own narrative. Just because there is a keyword that says human doesn't mean the model needs to look like a human. Right. Like you said, you could do the cold ones. Maybe you can put an elf on there. Yep. Maybe you can do different things. Maybe you've got Dwarden riding something. If you want to do a Dwarden force, but you want to use Cavaliers, go for it. They're riding rams. That's the classic move. It would be amazing. Yeah. Uh, unfortunately or fortunately, however you see it, the, the War Scrolls themselves are going to be keyword locked to a race. But yeah. like you're pointing out, Will, it doesn't have to be the model locked to that race. And in fact, even in the uh, Warhammer community article about the older models that were getting uh, discontinued, and we saw some units, and we talked about this in the last episode, we saw some units that were being phased out from the Cities of Sigmar battle, um, battle tome. Uh, they recommended, you know, you could take your great swords for instance and run them as executioners yep well obviously if you're running them as executioners they're going to have the keyword elf they're not going to have the free guild or the um the human keywords so they're not going to benefit from uh some of the the city benefits that you would get for say free guild um models or human models uh just because that's the war scroll but Nothing says that you can't still use those models to represent those units. Um, yeah. It's it's a great way to get more table time out of your the collection that you already have 
um, just recognize that the the rules aren't going to support. Oh, I, you know, I've got these humans here on the table. Unless you're running the Legends War Scroll, and your opponent is good with that. Yeah, and also that's not that different from the previous cities of Sigmar book. No, not they, at all. They had like a various units that had various roles and different heroes that did different things. And it was still kind of segregated back then, too. Your free guild general only supported your free guild soldiers. Your sorceress only cares about the Darkling Covens. Your dreadlord only cares about his Order Serpentis. Like, none of that has actually changed. Right. So if you've custom-built your elvish greatswords, you were already messing with that anyways. Yep. Uh, I was going to say, honestly, I was surprised that they kept the race uh keywords in this yeah. edition just because yeah. we've seen so many hobbyists even um you know chris peach when he was still working for games workshop had created a cities of sigmar army that had mixed race models in the same units yeah. and i really thought there was going to be more of a, a move towards integrated units where you saw humans elves and dwarves or dwardens sorry um in, in the same <laughs> unit and that that keyword just wasn't going to matter so i am a little surprised that they've kept that in there um same. but all that to say even with that in there what matters is that you know what which of your units are going to be affected by which rules and that's all yeah. that really matters yeah it's going to help guide play styles not necessarily your narrative um if you want to lean into the narrative of like the different subfactions being separated and them being be, like because of the different races, go for it. Yep. But you don't have to. You can do whatever you want. Um, coming back to cities, is there any particular city you wanted to call out, Harry? Oh man, I'd I'd love to talk about all of them, but uh, all right. <laughs> the the one that I do want to highlight um, because it's correct me if I'm wrong. I have the old book here, and I'm double checked. But Misthaven, have mm. we had rules for that city before? We have had rules for Misthaven. They weren't in the original Battle Tome. They were in Broken Realms, Marathi. Oh, that's where they came up. Okay. Yeah. But these, so, this is very different how it works. Right. So Misthaven now is getting fleshed out into like a full city of Sigmar. Um, this is, it's a free city in Olgu, which is... Um, you know, we don't know a lot about all goose no. still. They haven't fleshed it out a lot in the lore. Um, but this is known as the city of scoundrels. Um, and it's, you know, full of pirates and cutthroats. It's probably where our two characters from the intro lived at some point, or at oh, least last sure. stopped. Um, you know, it's full of scourge privateers, darkling covens, order serpentus. Um, but what's really cool about, running a, a Misthaven army is the special rule that they gave you is at the end of your hero phase, you can pick up to three different friendly Misthaven units that are more than 12 inches from any enemy units or all enemy units. Each of those units that you pick can make a move of up to D six inches. You roll that separately. So it's three separate rolls. If the unit has a mount it can make a move of up to 2d6 instead of d6. Units can finish this move within three inches of enemy units. 
That's amazing. Yeah. It's the idea that, so the lore here is that the warriors of Misthaven swiftly bear down upon their foes under the cover of unnatural darkness. They're slipping in and out of the shadows. They've got unnatural mist around their army. Basically, your guys are are skitter leaping all over the table. Well, yeah. maybe not quite skitter leaping, but they're <laughs> moving around. You know, this is, you know, at the end of your hero phase. So before movement, you're basically getting to move these guys up the board. 2d6 extra inches for if they're mounted. I mean, Misthaven Cavalry are going to be amazing. Yeah. <laughs> because they're just, they're they're not going to be where you expect them to be. And they're going to be, it, it says you can even move them to within three inches of an enemy. So you can forgo the entire charge move, which yep. that opens up doors of being able to cut off the ability of your opponent to react to that charge. If, say, yeah. you're charging into shooting or uh, missile units. Um, there's a lot of fun that you can have there. Um, this is in the movement phase, so they can't redeploy in response yeah. to these. Yeah. Um, yeah. There's just so much fun. Um, yeah, I definitely, they're not the lists I'm running for Cities of Sigmar, but just this sub-faction rule gave me a lot of ideas. Because um, I do have a collection of these like a dark elf type models, and there's some cool things you can do with them in Path to Glory. And I do, the first thought I had was, oh, I have multiple Hydras and multiple Dreadlords on Black Dragons. Oh, man. Those dudes being able to move in in the hero phase right like monsters creeping in is wild yeah Um, for sure the other one is a lot of the new cities of sigmar units are cast to light formation basically Mm -hmm. they get bonuses if they don't move in the movement phase yep so if you want your cannon to get a little bit closer but still do its great range attacks move it in your hero phase those few yep. inches might get you that shot off on like enemy heroes or enemy monsters. Yeah, I hadn't even thought about that. Um, I mean, it does call this a normal move. So, well, it says, yeah, may make a move of up to six inches uh, or DC, D6 inches. Yeah. So I assume that would take them out of their fortified positions. Yeah. So but I'm not fortified because it's. Because it's something that happens specifically in the movement phase for fortified positions. Don't get me wrong. Guarantee it's going to get facked out. Yeah. For sure. (laughs) Because it's too good. Uh, But for now, the way it's written, I think you're able to do that type of movement. Okay. And and, don't count on it still being that way (laughs) by the time the episode comes out. (laughs) Right. I'm not going to lie. I do expect this this battle tome to get a fact. If yeah. it hasn't already, by the time you're listening to this, it will be coming very soon. Yeah. Just because there are a lot of questions. There's a lot of a lot of rules and synergies here that are gonna gonna raise questions. Yeah, for sure. Um is there any other cities? Because I one I wanted to talk a little bit about, but I think I'm gonna wait until I talk about the army I'm making. Um, I'll go ahead and talk about uh Lethus. Um, again one that judging from comments online a lot of people are excited to see here we have a city of sigmar in shaish the realm of death um and this this set of 
army abilities is really neat because it's going to turn all your heroes, non-wizard heroes, into priests. Mm-hmm. Um, so that means they're all going to get a a prayer that they can take um, from the core book. Uh, so your what are the the basic prayers out of the core book again? It's I know what yeah smite and heal. So I mean, just being able to hand out healing uh, across all your heroes is a pretty amazing ability. Yeah. Um, and then there's a specific prayer that they all know in addition to any others, and that is Morda's embrace. So Morda is the uh, I guess we'll call it local deity um, for yeah. for Lethus. And if you have been following along with Warhammer since the old world. You may recognize Morda as being kind of a uh, spiritual successor to the deity of death that was worshipped in the Empire, named Mor. So Morda's Embrace is a prayer with an answer value of 4 and a range of 12 inches. If answered, pick one enemy unit within range and visible to the chanter. Ward saves cannot be made for the that enemy unit until the start of your next hero phase. So you're basically mm. shutting down ward saves for the enemies. It's um, so good. Yeah, it's amazing. You take your free guild marshal on Griffin, charge them into an enemy general, turn off their ward save. Yep. Oof. And then just start dealing damage. Especially if you've got a plan to deal mortal wounds. Yeah. Which usually involves wizards. So if you want to make the most of this, you might want to have to bring that balance of wizards and non-wizards to, to bring that. Yeah. Up. Yeah, for sure. And I mean, a couple of good, uh, Shaishin wizards, you know, battle mages in a, a Lethus army, I think would be very thematic. Yeah. Um, one thing that always worries me when I see a rule like this is like how it interacts with the Path to Glory rules. Specifically, right. uh, in your Path to Glory order of battle starting out, you can only have one priest. Right. So Lethus makes all of your non-wizards into priests. That that would kind of break the bank, so yeah. to speak, when it comes to your battle roster uh, limits, You know, your order of battle limits yeah. that you get. So um, I think it's a great time to move on to the Path to Glory section of this book. Yeah, I was going to ask. So have they have they thought of that when they made the Path yeah. to Glory here? And it looks like they have, right? Uh, it sounds like a resounding yes. Um, this is one of, if not the like most like transformative uh, versions of Path to Glory. I know one that changes the most other than this would have to be Sons of Bayamot since they don't yeah. really have territories and things like that, but they that's just due to the nature of their army. Right. They need something to work when the majority of your models cost over 400-something points <laughs> and everything's a, a monster. Yeah. Um, so with that exception aside, which also, side note, whenever they're writing rules, I think they always just put the Sons of Bayamot to the side and don't think about them. <laughs> And yeah, then suddenly yeah. there needs to be balances that are made because the Sons of Bayamot exists. I think you kind of have to. I mean, they're a fun army to have in the game, absolutely. But you can't 
you can't expect them to be writing all the rules for the game, fully considering like, what would an army of giants do with this? Yeah. Yeah. Um, Yeah. The path to glory section, like Harry was saying before, this army is very tied to this specific place and time in the mortal realms. And this is very clear based on the way Path to Glory works, because no matter what kind of Cities of Sigmar force you are building, you start off on Crusade. Right. You don't even start in your city. Yeah. And you might be thinking, well, what does that mean being on Crusade? There are four things that you do when you're building your army. Rule number one. You do not start with any territories under your control, and you cannot bring territories under your control. You do not make exploration rolls. Wait, what? Yeah. So you're not you're you're out there fighting battles, and you're going to go through you know the aftermath phase, but you can't control any territories. Nope. At all, or while you're on crusade. While you're on crusade. While you're on crusade. All right. Yeah. Um, which is very interesting because a lot of territories are how you change your order of battle limitations. Right. Which is where point two comes in. Order of battle limits do not apply to you. You can include any number of units in your order of battle, but you must still spend glory points to add them as normal. This is the one that, like, why I think this is the most transformative section because i mentioned i have a bunch of war hydras and dreadlords two dreadlords and two war hydras and a chariot fit into a thousand point list that's four monsters and two heroes and i can go on crusade with that wait so will if i wanted to just take a thousand points of battle mages Mm -hmm. just 10 battle mages i I could make that my order of battle that that could be your entire army and i'd recommend going hello heart uh, yeah. For your sub faction because they have magic bonuses. Right. Just 10 wizards running through the wilderness trying to live. Yeah. Full full on hero hammer. Just <laughs> take all heroes, go with um, Lethus. They're all priests and they're just turning off people's wards as they rush in to kill things. Well, yeah, I, I couldn't run <laughs> 10 battle mages as priests. Oh, no. I could, I could do like half and half. Yeah. Yeah. You could do 10, you could do what, five battle mages and five marshals. Or I could take all heroes on monsters in an Excelsis army. Mm-hmm. It is wacky. So obviously th- this gets a little bit crazy. Mm-hmm. But it's not all like just bonuses here. No. Uh, because point number three, you do not have a stronghold. Which, what does a stronghold give you other than territories? And you cannot establish an outpost. Right. So all the cool things that came out in the Dawnbringers Harbingers book with all the cool allies you can call in, you don't get those. Right. Um, and you also can't get those because of point number four, which is the only quest you can embark on are those on it's one of the following pages. So you can't even do a quest to get a Harbinger. You can't do a quest to get new spells. You can't do a quest to get new artifacts. Nope. This is your list. What you start with is what you're pretty much stuck with, except for you can spend glory to recuperate units and add new units. Yep. That's it. 
It's because you don't have a vault. I mean, nope. you're you're on the move. Um, but yeah, like that, those four things, so simple, but it really changes the different types of armies you can build and the different narratives you have. Um, pairing that with the fact that the sub-factions are named after specific cities, you're always free to change that. Like, oh, yeah, you know, I've got the bonus of Living City, but my people came from a different city. Right. But you're on Crusade. You can say, like, oh, my people came from the Living City, and they're going to go build a different one. And these yep. are the rules I have. Yep. And that that's what I really like about this. If if anybody's played a lot of uh, Imperial Guard or Astra Militarum over the years, and they've you know liked creating their own regiment, but using the rules for one of the the known ones that um, we had rules for in the in the Codex, this is the same concept. Yeah, you're going to take one of these cities, these established lore cities that you mesh with rules wise or flavor wise or lore wise. And you're going to tell the story of a, of a crusade that's embarking out on their own, presumably from that city or one very similar to that city. And you're going to tell your own story of going on crusade, fighting monsters, clearing the land and establishing a new city because that's the goal here. Right? Well, yeah, that is the goal. You are on crusade to start a new city um, and playing your games and playing your battles is how you get to that point. So while you are on crusade, you get to keep track of a number of crusade points. Right. And this is where when I first read it, I was like, man, this is path to glory on hard mode here. Oh, yeah. Because, <laughs> you know, we've talked before about when you're playing path to glory. Sometimes winning doesn't matter as long as you're pursuing your own quests. With Cities of Sigmar on the uh, the Dombringer Crusades, winning matters. Winning matters a lot. <laughs> yeah, you you don't have many other quests to go on, and <laughs> losing is not good. Um, right, because you you start with zero Crusade points, and after each battle, you gain or lose Crusade points based on what happened. And they keep this pretty simple. If you win a major victory, D6 plus three crusade points. So you can get up to nine. Yep. If you win a minor victory, it's D3 plus two. If the battle is a draw, you still get one. That's nice. If your opponent wins, you lose a point. You lose a point. Yep. Now you can't go below zero. No. But if you have some of our luck... You might stay around zero for a long time. You might be there for a bit. Um, And that isn't all. (laughs) Like, that's already bad. Not being able to found a city and get all those things. Right, because you've got to get a bunch of crusade points before you can found your city. Yeah. Um, But there's also something that happens in the aftermath sequence. Right. And to kind of break it down, I'm going to throw out a... Uh, a timely reference for everyone. This is a game though at the Dombringer Crusades where you get all your people, you get all your wagons, you make sure you have all your supplies and you're out to find a better future, possibly out West, maybe in Oregon. Following <laughs> the trail. Hypothetically. Hypothetically. Uh, 
And they're very much leaning into that because just like the Oregon Trail, there are going to be randomized setbacks and blessings that happen to your army, which I love. They just... Oh, it's amazing. They made Oregon Trail and Warhammer. (laughs) I love it. Um, So... In step one of the aftermath sequence, you roll on either the setback table or the blessings table. The way you determine that is if you win or not. If you won a major victory or a minor victory, you get to roll on the blessings table. If it was a minor victory, you just roll once and you take it. If it was a major victory, you get to roll twice uh, and pick one of the two. So that's super neat. Yep. If you don't win, even if you draw, we get to the setbacks table. And that's just one roll on there? That's just one roll, and you apply <laughs> the result. What can we win if we lose, Will? Yeah, so you die of dysentery. Um, <laughs> they call it Nurgle's Rot, but it's dysentery. Um, if you roll a one on the setbacks table... You get Nurgle's Rot, and you have to roll a dice for each unit that is eligible for a casualty roll. So that's basically any non-unique units that you yeah. have in your army. Any yep. any non-hero, any non-monster. Basically, oh, that's any, right. Yeah. Because heroes take injury rolls, not casualty rolls. Exactly. Yep. On a one, a warrior in that unit is affected by Nurgle's Rot. Increase its casualty score by one. Yep. So each unit... In your army, like let's say we've got a bunch of plucky steel helms in our in our army here. For each unit that I've got, I'm gonna roll a dice. And if I get a one, one of those guys is just gonna succumb to Nurgle's rot and we're gonna be down a man in our next battle until we uh make a recovery roll for him. Yep, until you yeah, try to recuperate him. Yep. Um another interesting one. Also, what happens to me in Oregon Trail, because I was terrible at the shooting minigame, is <laughs> low ammunition. This is amazing. This is so good. In your next Path of Glory battle, at the end of each of your shooting phases, roll a dice for each friendly unit that shot in that phase. On a one, the unit has run out of ammunition and cannot be picked to shoot for the rest of the battle. <laughs> And that's it does not specify which type of unit. Nope. It just says each friendly unit that shot in that phase. Yep. So your Ironwell Great Cannons, they can run out of ammo. Your, your Dark Riders? Yep. Sorry. They can run out of ammo. <laughs> I mean and it's for the rest of the battle. So yeah. I mean you, you want to talk about what's gonna be very audible at tournaments is well not tournaments but at at path the glory games is when somebody already has low ammunition they're playing their game and they run out of ammo on that first battle round because they shot their cannon and forgot to bring extra yep um you mentioned the similarities to the astra militarum this is 100% a scenario that people wish the game had that I know they have in a lot of historical games, which is, all right, lads, we're out of ammo. Get the bayonets. Right. <laughs> <laughs> we're going in. <laughs> oh, that's incredible. Oh, it's so good. So 
it's not all bad though, and I don't want to spoil all of these. Um, yeah, we yeah. we also have you know uh, a result that will stop you from recuperating units during your aftermath. Mm-hmm. But if you roll a six on your setbacks table, even though you lost, you have righteous indig- indignation, and your faith in Sigmar will not waver. So you're going to receive D6 additional glory points, even yeah. though you lost that game. So that's nice. <laughs> yep. Um, uh, but if you do win, you can go over to the blessings table, um, which has got some really cool stuff. Um, yeah. Like there's the hidden spring, which is at the end of the aftermath sequence of this battle for each unit that has a casualty score of one or more, reduce its casualty score by one. Yeah. So um, you, people are getting better. And then reinforcements arrive. You can just get a free unit. Just just add one unit to your order of battle. Don't worry about it. It's free. Oh, wow. I, I didn't even notice that that one was a full unit. Oh, yeah. No, it's, it's pretty good and it's pretty strong. Um, and the cool thing I like about these tables, we kind of talked about it in our chat, but... I definitely want to talk about it now. Is yeah. This matches the narrative of the Dawnbringer Crusades, which has been, they're not always successful. In fact, most of the time they're not. Right. And here you have these blessings and setbacks. You're going to have people whose crusades are phenomenal. They're going great. They can found a city super quickly. Yeah. And you're going to have someone who's hitting the setback table really hard. They're not able to recuperate. They're not able to do all that stuff. And something you can do is just call it a wash. Yep. Yep. Just, just take it as a mulligan. That that crusade is dead. Restart. Yep. You can keep We're the same. We're going to re-rack them and yep. try again. Um, and that may suck to hear of like, yeah, your army was a failure. Sorry. Um but I like to think of like it's it's playing into that narrative. Like, just be like, you know what? Yeah, I was expecting them to lose. Ninety percent of Crusades fell anyways. I'm going to try again, and you can optimize your list that way and move forward. Right. Exactly. And you know this this definitely balances out those those first four points that you you talked about specifically. Yeah. The one where there's no uh, limits on your order of battle. So you can try that all wizard army or that all monster army and see how it goes. And if it goes great, awesome. You've told a great story. And if it doesn't go great and those wizards all starve to death in the wilderness, then, then, (laughs) you know, you told a fun story in the meantime and you can re-rack and do a more traditional crusade after that. Um, You know, it's gotta be a trade-off there. And again, like we've said all along, Path to Glory is about telling cool stories with your models. And they've really leaned heavily into that, yeah. uh, given this point in the overarching uh, Age of Sigmar story. I just, I'm still thinking about those 10 wizards, <laughs> like going up against a horde of Oryx and realizing like, oh, this was not a good idea. Yeah. Like we are not getting through this. <laughs> <laughs> There's only so much Fos protection you can, you can cast. Yeah. Uh um, yeah, so that is your army on Crusade. That is the mechanics of how it works. Uh, that's how you can gain Crusade points. Those are the randomized things. 
So what are the quests that you can go on while you're on Crusade? Yeah. So you have four quests. Um, and it's funny because it's just like, again, like an encounter you would do on the Oregon Trail. You can go first <laughs> across the plains. You can go over the mountains. You can go into the mires. And you can go through the forests. I feel like this is a choose your own adventure book. It really is. <laughs> and it's so good. Um, so for example, across the plains while embarked on this quest, each time you roll in the setbacks table, roll twice, pick one of the results to apply, which is great. Yeah. Cause like you would, it gives you a- more options. You can pick the least bad one. Yeah, the pl- the planes are fairly easy terrain out of yeah. the the four that you can go through. I mean, there's a chance you can gain glory with this a, a, yeah. be- a better chance than before. Um, one thing I point out before I get to the rest of the quest because that's just that just happens while you're on the quest. You just get that bonus, which is super cool. Yeah, it's not often you get a bonus while on the quest. Normally, you need to complete it. Yep. Um, but each, every single one of these quests scores the same way. You add one quest point to the progress section of your quest log for each friendly unit wholly within your opponent's territory because you're moving forward. Whoa. Like it's, okay. It's that, <laughs> like that, that's why, cause you're on, you're moving forward on crusade. So you, so, so this is wild forward. <laughs> this is wild. I'm just going to pause because we're talking we're talking lore and and rules mechanics on this episode. Yeah. Um, we know that the big units that they've previewed and that people are really excited about are like the Great Cannon, the Fusiliers, and the uh, the uh, Dude on Ogre. Fusil Major on War. Yeah, Fusil Major. Um, and we've talked about a little bit about that. Um, castellite formation that they like to build up in yeah which is great it's really cool and they get a lot of cool bonuses but those guys aren't moving across the battlefield yep like your your cannon is moving a couple inches a turn at best you're you're probably not going to get that into enemy territory by the end of five battle rounds Nope. If you ran with it every turn <laughs> and you don't want to <laughs> no you're you're definitely not so you know, it's wild that you've got to take this into consideration when you're coming up with your crusade force. Like, it might be cool to just build that gun line and sit in the back back wall of your board and blast the enemy off the, the table, but you're not going to make progress on your quest. Nope. It, and it's so funny because this also fits into the narrative because you're like, oh, yeah, that castle formation, but we're not mo- – progressing it's not great in all situations right in the lore of the book the talia vedra the new named character on the manticore she came up with this tactic fighting the cruel boys like hey disassemble the wagons we need shields so they can stop shooting us Mm. and it worked and everyone all like the um tacticians in azir are like this is fantastic this is the new way to do Dawnbringer Crusades. And she came up to them and was like, no, this is not working. This is this worked in one situation. This is not going to work. 
in Gairan. Right. <laughs> this is not going to work in right. Olgu where things come behind us. The shields are heavy. You can't move. This isn't, it's situational. And they just say, yeah. you're outvoted anyways. Uh, <laughs> so the fact that in Path to Glory, like it's super cool. You can shoot things out, but it may not be the most successful way to do your crusade. Matches the lore, matches the narrative, right. and right. is reflected in gameplay. And so uh, you, you've, you're earning these quest points and we'll just stay on the planes here. Yeah. You're earning the quest points and um, at the end of each battle roll dice and add your current number of quest points to the result on a 12 plus, you reach the other side of the planes. Unless you have six units in enemy territory, you are not getting this turn one. No, definitely not. No. You're going to have to fight a few battles on those planes yep. before you get to the other side. Yeah. Once you get to the other side, you must fight the sudden assault battle plan as the invader, which is in your core book, page 330 for those following along at home, and complete this quest after you've done so. Yep. Um, once you complete the quest, you receive five additional crusade points and you get to pick another quest. Yeah. Uh, and if you didn't win, you still get three crusade points. So it's not a total wash. And right. that includes, if you won, the D6 plus three you got for winning. And not even including all the battles that led up to that point. So it's possible yep. you only do one quest for your um, crusade. Right. Right. You could You could be working along the same quest for the entirety of your crusade. Yeah. Um. Do we want to talk about any of the other quests or do we just want to sit, uh, talk about what happens when we get enough crusade points? I think let's go into what happens when we found our city. Um, all right. The other ones, they score similar ways. They have different benefits and they all have different bonuses for uh, while you're doing them. So definitely as you're going through, kind of envision what you think would be useful. I personally like the <laughs> roll twice in the setbacks thing. <laughs> Yeah. Well, there is another one that lets you roll twice on the setbacks table, and that's when you're into the Myers. But you've got to take the lowest result. Which so. is the worst result. Right, right. So more risk, maybe a little bit more reward, but we'll leave that for you to find out. Yeah. God, it's so good. I love it. Um, yeah, after you've gained 25 or more Crusade points, that's a lot. Uh, 25. Uh, you can choose to fight the battle plan Await the Coming Dawn, which is super cool. And we'll talk about <laughs> yeah. that a little bit. Uh, if you win the special battle plan, you do not roll on the blessings table. Instead, you can finally found your city. When you do so, you are no longer on crusade. And you get to follow the following steps before doing the aftermath sequence. Mm -hmm. Number one, you set each of your order of battle limits to the number of each corresponding unit type on your roster. So we, we get our order of battle limits back. Right. But you're not going to be exceeding anything yep. because they set to exactly what you have yeah. on your roster at that time. So if you had 10 battle mages, your new order of battle limit is 10 heroes and 10 wizards. Yep. If you had no units of the corresponding type, the limit is set to one. So if yep. you had no allied units you can still have one allied unit yeah yeah 
Second and that's thing, just going to give you some flexibility when you go to add your next unit to yeah. your roster. Yeah, so after a few games, just having limits set to 10 is wild. <laughs> um, so good. Or with my uh, Order Serpentis list of having four monsters. Is, yeah. That would is, would be great. Uh, the second thing you do, receive a stronghold and immediately pick one territory from the Cities of Sigmar territories table and bring it under your control without spending any glory. So not just a generic one, but the cool special ones that you normally need to roll on the D6-6-4. Right. And what I love about this is it really represents going out, questing across a variety of terrain, and finding that perfect spot to mm-hmm. settle your your city. Um, yeah, that's, that's a really cool way of handling this. Yeah. Uh, and the final one is each unit on your order of battle that is not a hero gains the first founding veterans veteran ability on page 113. This is in addition to the three they can gain as normal. Yep. So, and this is the only way you can get that veteran ability. Yeah. So you can't add a unit and then claim them to be a part of the first founding. Nope. Nope. So potentially you could have <laughs> veteran units that have four veteran abilities, which is awesome. Yeah. It's um, really, really cool. The first founding veterans one is this unit can use this veteran ability once per battle when it is picked to shoot or fight. You can re-roll hit rolls of one for attacks made by that unit until the end of the phase. So it's not like it's a super strong veteran ability. No. But that is something everyone can get the benefit of. And to have that on all of the units in your order of battle Mm -hmm. is going to be really strong. Yep. Yep. And that's that's everything from battle line to monsters to heroes. Everybody that was... Oh, you're right. Not heroes. But everyone else that was on that crusade and made it through and didn't get wiped out and taken off your order of battle, <laughs> they're going to get this this veteran ability when you do yeah. finally found your city. So that's a really cool, uh, again, reward and represents a little bit of story so that you know, if you're playing Path to Glory for months and months where you're getting in regular games, you can always point back to, yeah, we founded this city, but these guys here, these steel helms, they were there at the beginning. Yeah. They're all gray beards now. Yep. <laughs> um, then back to just the rest of the veteran abilities you can gain. Some of these are <laughs> really cool. Um, and like most books, some of the veteran abilities are locked behind specific unit choices. The interesting thing is like how they choose to do that this time. Cause in like certain books, it's like only this specific war scroll can get this or maybe two war scrolls. Right. Uh, here we have it. Some of them are racially locked. Some of them are keyword locked and some of the just like ranged units. Um, one I wanted to call out is Quicksilver speed. This is for elf units only. They can do it once per battle in the combat phase if it made a charge in the same turn. If you do, the strike first effect applies to this unit to the end of the turn. Um, That's really cool. 
really cool, especially if you're going hard on things like Dark Riders, which get a lot of cool bonuses. And I think they can retreat and shoot and retreat and charge. Mm -hmm. So giving it also makes me think executioners, um, you know, if if you think back to Warhammer Fantasy Battles, that used to be a, a big elf thing was striking first in combat. Yeah. And, you know, the guys with the big two handed swords were always awesome to have that strike force ability on. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, it's 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 funny how things like that like carry over and like how they carry over. Yeah. From past editions. Um, any veteran abilities stand out to you? Um, I really like the uh, righteous conviction. So that's for human units. And that is uh, a unit can use this veteran ability once per battle in the hero phase. If it does so, this unit can chant the smite prayer as if it were a priest. So again, just really, really leaning into that, um, you know, the idea that these, especially the human units here are all devoted of Sigmar. They're out there on crusade in the name of Sigmar. And their faith is such that um, when these guys are filled with righteous conviction, they're able to actually call down a little bit of Sigmar's judgment on the enemy and deal out some mortal wounds. Yeah. And if you have it in Lethus, your other priest can get rid of those wards. So those mortal wounds go right through. Right. Um, It's super cool. The only thing I dislike about it is that smite only works on enemy priests and it's just not a priest heavy game unfortunately yeah yeah like Wait. i wish there were more priests smite only affects priests uh let me double check i could be thinking of the anvil of apotheosis version of it um yeah smite is a prayer that has an answer value of two and a range of 48 inches if answered pick one enemy priest within range and visible to the chanter that enemy priest suffers one mortal wound. Oh, you're right. Man, I it's great if you go up against like corn. Yeah. Corn or another Sigmar army. <laughs> yeah. Just yeah. two Lethus armies <laughs> smiting each Just other. Duking it out. Um Yeah. Yeah, that's 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 odd. I guess I thought that it was more like um Arcane Bolt. But... Yeah. Well so that's uh, I always get the smite and the anvil of apotheosis prayer mixed up. Uh, that one is just like an arcane bolt. Oh uh, yeah. Not to rain on the smite parade. No, because it's, no. it's cool. Like being able to chant like a priest is a cool veteran ability. I just wish the prayer you got was a little bit better. Yeah. At that point, I'd almost rather have them get the, uh, the heal one. Right. As a priest. Uh, the cool thing, though, is, you know, since it's a veteran ability, you only get it after they have experience. Yeah. Maybe only pick it if you're fighting people who have priests. Right. And right. so that's exactly. the thing. They are like they're the priest slayers. They have been rewarded by Sigmar for slaying priests. And now they can smite those priests harder. Yep. Yep. Exactly. Another veteran ability I'd, I want to highlight, and this is kind of one of because I want to highlight the Castellite um, keyword. This keyword is new to this edition of Cities of Sigmar. And it's one that we see pop up on several of the new units that we have. 
I think it's on the the major fusel, the uh, fusiliers, and the great cannon. Am I missing any? Nope, just those three. It's those three. Um, easy way to remember it uh, is if they've got one of those big shields. Um, yeah. Then they're going to be a castellite unit. And the veteran ability for castellite units is called mobile bulwark. A castellite unit with the fortified position ability. Uh, oh, say, so it can be taken by a castellite unit with a fortified position ability. Yeah. And this unit can use this veteran ability once per battle in your movement phase after making a normal move. If it does so, the unit can establish a fortified position as if it had remained stationary. Now we're getting ahead of ourselves a little bit here, but on all of those castellite units, um, or at least on the, the fusiliers and the cannon, I'm not sure on the fusil major, they have the ability to be in a fortified position. And basically that means if they don't move, their, their shields are up. <laughs> it, it basically ignores rend against missile attacks. Um, so, but you lose that ability if you move. Mm-hmm. So we already talked about how we need to be moving across the board in order to get those quest points. Um, we've got to get our units into enemy territory. Or sometimes you just want to get a better angle, um, depending on how much yeah. terrain you have. Or you just want to get within range of an enemy who's hanging back um, just outside of range. So this veteran ability allows you to once per battle move those veterans up and keep those shields in place. Yeah. And it definitely helps with like being in the game for positioning just for everything you said. It also tells a cool story in the narrative of when you first go on crusade and no one's a veteran yet you're obviously not going to be as good at completing your crusade. Yep. Once these guys start getting their veteran abilities and those castlight formations can start moving into enemy territory, they suddenly start getting more quest points, which allows them to get closer to founding their city. Yep. It's a very symbiotic process between these rules to shape that narrative of, oh, we are making progress. We were green-eared, like we didn't know what we were doing, but now here we are moving forward. We're good at this. We have mastered the realm. Yeah. And I think it's really going to create a snowball type effect. Yeah. Your, your crusade's either going to get off to a rough start and maybe you've got to reset it, or you're going to get the ball rolling and you'll start to build momentum and you'll be founding your city before you know it. Yeah. Yeah. So those are the veteran abilities. And then next is we have our cool special cities of Sigmar territories. Which again, you can pick any one of these when you found your city and you just get that. Yep. And then once you get your city, these will be on your uh, your sixes to roll or your six on the ten digits when you're doing your exploration rolls. Yeah. Um, I want to highlight a few of these, but I'm just going to go through the list of them just to kind of show you what the options are. First is the arable reclaim. So streams of beautiful waters, super cool. You've got the Guardian Idol, which is one of the terrain pieces that came out at the start of the edition. Mm-hmm. You can get your Dwarden Quarter. So if you are doing a Dwarden heavy list, this will help you out there. Tell that narrative. Your Elven Quarter. Your Free Guild Barracks. And then your Geomantic Nexus, which is another terrain piece. Uh, with the Nexus Siphon, I think. 
Yeah, and all all of these quarters, you know, these these sound like things that you would find in your city, right, or in a yeah. free city. Um, all of these quarters or the idols and such, um, they they come with some pretty cool bonuses. Oh yeah, um, you know, like the Duarden quarter not only increases your war machine limit, but also your priest limit. Um, you get Elven quarter is wizards and monsters, which uh, is so funny to me because like. Because we lost all the high elf units, the elves we have left are all like the dark elf types. So yeah. it's your sorceresses with their monsters, the scourge privateers who have monsters, the Urdus Repentus who have monsters. So like suddenly the el- all the elves we have left are like monster focused. They, they become the monster faction or Which the, the so monster sub faction. <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, another cool territory. Uh, territory is the free guild barracks. Mm-hmm. Each time you recuperate a free guild unit, they gain renown points, and they may be able to just become veterans through that. Yeah, yeah, and that can upgrade into a full blown military academy yep. um, where they're getting even more renown points. Yeah. Um, um, yeah, it's just it's a really cool concept because as your city's been founded. It becomes a training ground for new units. You know, you're going to be you're going to be pumping out better and better uh, quality soldiers as time goes on. Um, but the real the thing I really want to highlight is the Guardian Idol and Nexus Siphon. Yeah. Um, because these are territories that give you faction terrain. Oh, if you look through the book. There is no faction terrain for the cities of Sigmar. Right. There's no War Scroll. You cannot bring it. If you're playing match play, you don't get it. It's not like a bone type nexus. However, if you have the Guardian Idol territory, you can take that faction terrain piece. And in a Path to Glory battle, if you could set up faction terrain, you can set one up entirely in your territory. And all cities of Sigmar units have a three up ward uh, within three inches of it. So by completing your city, you get the benefits of the buildings in your city. Oh, very cool. Yeah. And then the the Nexus Siphon, which is that other terrain piece, if you have that territory and that Nexus Siphon, it's sort of like the arcane battery for your town. Right. It will supercharge your guardian idol to make it a five up ward. Oh. Uh, so they actually work with each other. Yep. Very no, cool. Don't go for the geomantic nexus first, even though it's the one that says six six. You're very tempted, like, oh, I want that. <laughs> you, it doesn't actually do anything unless you have the other one, right? So, have you read or listened to um, the Dominion novel? Yes. So you're spoilers for anyone who hasn't read Dominion novel. Just skip ahead like five seconds here, <laughs> but. Um, <laughs> Uh, you know how that, you know, the whole thing is they're trying to find that geomantic nexus oh, yeah. and set up, set up their siphon and they've got to make sure it's on the right place. Like you can tell that type of story yeah. with your army using these, these territories. Yeah. And the majority of crusades, they are sent out like for that purpose of like taming these geomantic nexuses. Um, but yours doesn't have to be. No. But this it is does. a cool way to tell that story yeah. of now you have that cool 
basically Gungan shield wall thing. Um, yeah, especially if you already have the uh, the terrain from yeah. from the beginning of the um, and if the edition. you don't, you now have an excuse. Yeah, absolutely. I was going to ask: Are they still available separately? I know they were all part of the. They um, are Dondia expansion. Yeah, they they repatched them separately. I know the majority of them are available separately. I don't know okay. if every piece still is. Yeah, because they might have sold out. But yeah, I think gonna... these two are, and if not, they're probably making more just for this release. Oh, I'm sure. Um. Next is a super cool section, uh, which is Citizens of the Realms. Yeah, and so Citizens of the Realm is essentially a bunch of tables for generating names for your characters. Um, like Harry had said, we had gotten this a few times in other books, but what I really like about this one is that there is multiple, there's a lot of tables. Because there is one for each realm, including Azir. Yeah as well as one for elves and Dwarden. Yeah. And, and this is, I mean, I don't know if they're just recognizing that some people have trouble with, with coming up with their own names. Um, or if they've just seen the popularity of the realm of plastic name generators. Right. Um, <laughs> but, but they've definitely leaned into this and said, Hey, we want you to tell these stories of people coming from all over the realms. Here's a way to get names for them. Yeah. And they do a really cool. It's really cool in like anchoring the types of names that come from the different places. Um, and really like setting up like some of those cultures, like I'm pretty sure Hish, all of the last names, like because they use um, like D'Elemetrica or D's until and De Phaedra, it's like they're French. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, with Shaiish, it's all all the last names are basically from the named witch hunters, which is funny to me. Oh yeah, the <laughs> Venbrecht, Vendenst, uh, Derek from Jelson Derek, and then Ven Lugosi, who you know, of course, is the guy who played all the movie monsters. That's <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>, right. Oh, <laughs> um, uh, how fun! Yeah, but it's super cool. This is actually where we rolled our names from the beginning. We took our titles from Realm of Plastic, but I wanted to do an well, I wanted to do a Scourge Privateer, so I I did a combination of an Olguin first name and an Elvish last name. Yep. To get Thenray, uh, Swift Serpent. Also, I I couldn't read it first. Kind of like because Swift Serpent is one word. I thought it was Swiftser pent like that doesn't make any sense <laughs> that needs to be hyphenated um yeah so you can like combine like the dwarden names with your realm to get like your realm specific dwarden and yeah you can combine actually and guy Rand if you wanted to do a hammerhall character who goes between the two cities right right or if you want to tell a story of you know, somebody whose family originally immigrated from Azir, but they've been living in Gur. Maybe you do a Gurish first name and an Azurite last name. Yeah. Yeah, there's a lot of, like, really cool, I mean, just different combos you can do. Um, it's nothing too crazy, their names. Um, yeah. But the way you can combine them and just the naming conventions they use for these different areas and different groups 
will help people come up with their own on top right. of it, which I think is like the real benefit. For example, um, Shaman or Cayman, uh, it's all like different spellings of like types of like metals. Like there's a gold strick, which is you mm-hmm. know, gold or a uh, cold iron, um, like cold iron. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so being able to just go like, oh, I can just spell a metal wrong and that's my name. Yeah. Th- these are just creative, uh, creative prompts, you know, th- that can get the, the gears turning and get you headed in a creative way. Uh, the other cool thing it has is it's got a table of quirks you can roll on. So for your character, you can give them just a cool little thing that helps solidify them. If anyone's played like fifth edition Dungeons and Dragons, this is sort of like the random traits you can roll that really don't have any rules, but help create the character. Mm-hmm. Um, trying to think of a good one. Uh, weather beaten. The years spent on the frontier have left heavy lines on the citizens' features. And yeah. Suddenly, boom, this person's a veteran. They've been out on crusade for a while or at very least have like lived on the outskirts. So this might be one of your like scout characters um, as opposed to your fresh face, some person just out of his ear. Yeah. I I really enjoyed reading uh, about homesick. You know, you've got somebody who's spent long months on the road and they're filled with yearning for family and hearth or lover in the ranks. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I was just going to say that one. You know, the few know it, this one has a beloved partner in the same war host. Um, it's just talking about telling the story of your army that that opens up a lot of doors just yep. for telling a neat story of, about the models that you are playing a game with. Yeah. And the cool thing is I know lover in the ranks is kind of the basis for one of the short stories. Um, not in this book, but, a. Uh, few months ago they did like Dawnbringer week for black library and there was one short story about a couple that were criminals so they joined the crusade to get out of dodge mm-hmm. um, that's pretty neat yeah and it's also something to think of of like coming up with your army as a whole well if we have this person who has a lover in the ranks how did that come to be how would your army handle something like that what is your who are the people that make up your army? Like, sure, you have your fusiliers, but are they people who went to, like, gunnery school? Or are they folks who were handed their weird-looking cannon sticks and told to march out without much training? Right. Um, so being able to form those ideas as you're creating your your army and creating your narrative is going to be super useful as well. Yeah, and I know that... You know, telling the story not just of of the army as a whole, but of the characters in the army and the individuals in the army is something that both you and I have enjoyed doing with our Warhammer armies. Oh yeah, um, over the years, and that that kind of leads into um, what I'm doing for my Cities of Sigmar Path to Glory army that I'm already planning to do once. Yeah. Uh, um, now that I've got the these new rules, um. Yeah, tell me because, about it. It's all new models, right? <laughs> <laughs> well, I will say people have probably not seen these, or at least not everybody has seen these models. <laughs> so, um, you know, I've been collecting uh, Warhammer since 5th uh, edition um, Warhammer Fantasy Battles. And 
over that time, one of the armies that was sort of the core of my collection was an empire army. And so I'd gotten a lot of empire models, but I wanted to add to that um, here recently. And I stumbled across a copy of Battle Masters. And I know I've talked about that on previous episodes. So I've got all these knights from Battle Masters, which I just love because they remind me of the old Bretonian army that I didn't actually have. Um, so I've got Empire models and these Battle Masters models. And I, so, especially now that the uh, order of battle limits for your roster aren't in place, it's going to allow me to do. Um, basically an all knights army or mostly knights army uh, with a cannon. I've got the, the quote unquote great cannon. It's a little tiny from <laughs> battle masters um, and, and a bunch of the uh, halberdiers or men at arms from uh, battle masters will represent my steel helms. Nice. And I'm going to be taking 15 uh, cavaliers and these are all, the, uh, the knights from Battle Masters. I've done some head swaps with some Empire knights and some Bretonian knights scattered in there so they don't all look the same. But I will be painting them up in a variety of heraldries. So really throwing back to that, the look of a, a Bretonian army. And then for my um, Cavalier Marshal, uh, I've gotten one of the old Dogs of War generals. Ooh. Um, I don't recall this guy's name, but he's <laughs> he's a, a dog of the war general on horseback. He's got a helmet in his in the crook of his arm and a giant great sword in the other hand. Um, and so I've gotten him rebased. Um, and what's fun about these is I I'd been writing up a little bit of lore and and history for my collection for a while now planning on doing them as the cities of Sigmar army um, since really around the end of first edition. And so I, I'd drawn maps, I'd drawn up some heraldry. I just hadn't buckled down and actually painted the army. And so rather than abandoning, abandoning all of that, what I've decided to do is I'm going to just shift the storyline forward and tell the story of, um, of these nobles who had settled mostly in Gur and had various holdings there. And now they're being pulled away to go on a Dombringer crusade out of Excelsis, which meshes just well with the, the rules yeah. as well. So I've got these, these cavaliers that are going to benefit from being uh, keyworded Excelsis, but it's telling the story that I'd already placed in Gur um, when I was drawing up my maps and everything. And so all of these nobles are leaving their holdings, not unlike happened in, in our history, where the nobles left their, their land holdings and went on crusade. These nobles are headed out on crusade. They're putting aside court intrigue and petty squabbles over territories on their borders. And now they're united as a force going forward. Um, so I, I am going to have names for all 15 of my, my cavaliers. Ooh. Um, and to go along with their heraldry and their stories. Um, I've already got names for the, the Cavalier Marshal, that's um, Duke Zacharis. And then I've got a uh, Free Guild Marshal with Relic Envoy 
that's represented with um, uh, it's actually the Templar from ta- the third edition talisman is going to be my uh, my free guild marshal, and then the relic envoy is an old Mordheim model that I'd modeled up or written up a background for on Mortal Citizens a couple years ago. Um, oh, nice! I don't know if you remember that guy. I um, do because I. Uh, that came out of the Mortal Realms Discord. Yeah, yeah. So uh, we had done a project where every month we were doing uh, a lowly citizen of the Mortal Realms, and there was a, a prompt assignment. And so I think it was February of that year, there was a messenger. And so I had this guy here who uh, has a, a little yeah. hand, hand puppet and... Uh, <laughs> A wooden sign so i decided that he was the postman oh my that, gosh that ran around through this this part of gur yeah um but he doesn't actually talk to people the puppet talks to all the customers <laughs> and de- and delivers the messages <laughs> and the human that carries him who's named lucky he just runs through the wilderness carrying this puppet from place to place he's just the envoy so, yeah, he's just the envoy. So that's my relic envoy to go with uh, my free guild marshal. So it's a fun way of tying in uh, some older models that I had um, and breathing new life into them as this Dawnbringer Crusade. Oh, man, that's brilliant. Um, what? So what are you doing for your Cities of Sigmar? Yeah, so I am doing, um, still coming up with a clever name. Actually, no. Scratch that. I already have a clever name. I just forgot it. Um, what I'm doing is called the Zarak Crusade. And the informal name is the Cities of Hob. Um, I like it. I have not hidden my love of Hobgoblins and Hobgrots. They're like my favorite fantasy race. Mm-hmm. The downside is that Hobgrot Slittas are not great in the game. But and you can't really take a whole army of hobgoblins. You can't because they're not battle line and there's no yeah. heroes. Yeah. But um, I decided that I wanted to change that. I've been th- trying to think of ways to do it. And this opportunity has actually allowed me to use these models in four armies now. Um, That's brilliant. Four rule sets, I should say. One army of models. Um, and I'll get to how in a minute. Um, but one thing that I've been focusing on narratively is the Hobgrats currently don't really have their own thing. They are a race that only exists in the army of another race working for the Oryx. Mm-hmm. But they even say like, well, they fight for the Oryx, but really they work for the Hashut worshipping Dwarden. So right. Even then, their background is they work for a different race, and the in Soulbound, the role playing game for Warhammer, mm-hmm. they're the champions of destruction book, and Hobgrats are a playable race. And there are some cool tidbits I was looking at while researching the best way to do this army, which is, quote, their war bands organize into hierarchies that resemble free guild regiments more than conventional orc or grat mobs. Like, okay, that's the only excuse I need that they actually operate using free guild rules. Right. It's in the narrative. It works. It's right there. Um, 
And so the idea narratively is that these are Hopgrats who are tired of working for someone else, tired of their sweat earning someone else's victory. Mm-hmm. And they're tired of living in cities where they're not in charge. So they are out on crusade. They currently do not have a home of their own, but they're going to change that. And that's kind of the their narrative I'm going for. Well, well this explains your... Uh... Your Grimhold Exile uh, yeah. model as well, because he is a Hashush, yeah. Hashut worshiping Dwarden. Yeah, and who would naturally be allied in with some with some Hobgrats. Hobgrats, that's um, wonderful. And the way I'm doing this is um, Titan's Forge, uh, a 3D model company just came out with their chaos dwarf release this month okay last in august um for those listening and so they have sheet that's their hob they have hobgrats they look exactly like hobgrats with the serial numbers filed off and so mm-hmm. i just take those shields and i've been slapping them on my hobgrats slitters okay suddenly i've got 40 steel helms ready. To yeah. Go. <laughs> like, um, the tricky thing I've been trying to do is how to do fusiliers. So I've yeah. taken 30 of my hop rats. Again, I have a hundred of these guys, so I have a lot yeah. to play with yeah. and I'm giving them tower shields and I'm just giving them pistols to be the, the fusils. Um, okay. But it still works. Uh, I yeah. just need to, I think rebase them because even though at this point the box is out and the book is out, by the time you're listening to this, not all of the models are out, and I we have no idea what size base the fusiliers are on. I'm thinking yeah. 32s. That's my best guess at this point yeah. as of recording. Just based on the pictures, they're bigger than the steel helms, but they don't look like they're 40s. So, yep. Um, so I'm thinking I'm going to have to rebase them to 32s. So unfortunately, I can't use them in my four army plan just because they're different bases. But that's the idea. I'm just doing full free guild, Hopgrats. I'm going to get some Snarlfang riders, just pop some of those heads off of the Grats and replace them with Hopgrat heads. Mm-hmm. And those are on the, the 60 millimeter ovals, so that'll yep. work as... Yep, that's going to be my Cavaliers. Cavaliers. Yeah. Um. So those three are going to be the core of these armies. I'm also going to get some cannons to be the great cannons. I've got some fire elementals to be like the Hushud fire demon things. Run those as Stormcast uh, to ally in. And okay. then the thing that makes it really interesting is you've got a Grat with a stabby weapon and a shield on a 25 millimeter base. That is my Hot Grat Slitta. That mm-hmm. is my Free Guild Steel Helm. That is my Chaos Marauder. Oh. And the, oh, and then it's just a Grot Stabba. Yep. Done. Yep. Snarlfang Riders are one, just Snarlfang Riders. Mm-hmm. They are going to be Chaos Marauders on horses, and they're okay. going to be Cavaliers. Nice. Uh, and then for each of these four different armies, I'm just going to have to do custom heroes and like other units to like balance out those lists. Yep. But just yeah. having a block of infantry I can port over to any of these armies is feels good. Yeah, 
I mean, that's amazing being able to play three different, uh, three different armies in three different grand alliances with the same models. Yeah, is a lot of fun. I'm I'm super excited, and then it just allows me to expand any way I want. Yeah, and look at the different themes. Um, as far as leadership goes, right now, I currently have my marshal, who is a fully 3D printed Hobgratz who's shooting two pistols in the air. <laughs> Because the, the marshal can have dueling pistols as like his war scroll option. And yeah. The pose is like, well, he needs to be carrying guns. Of course. Uh, but the warlord is going to be, uh, what is it? Uh, Lamasu. It's a cool winged chaos dwarf beast. Okay. Um, it, it's still getting ready to print. I don't have a picture for it, but it fits that theme really well. It's going to sub in as the griffin. Mm-hmm. And then I have a different marshal who's going to be on the base uh, giving a commands. It's very much oh, a cool. Grom the Paunch type model. Right. So that's going to be the warlord. He was in this latest animosity campaign as a side character. I kind okay. of talked about how he played a sever. This guy, Grint, uh, Grint Burnson, which I rolled off the action table in the cities of sigmar battle tome nice um he's gonna be the warlord so he he fought for other people he did his thing now he wants to set out and do his own thing do his own thing um yeah and then i want to expand my animosity force as like allies to this Mm -hmm. Uh, because the coalition i was in this year was basically chaos dwarves Oh, okay. I can now print off a bunch of chaos dwarves and run them as the Dwarden section of my army. And then my main character was from an elf faction. And I have a bunch of old high elf models. Yeah. So I'm going to do those up as like allies to these Hobgrats because I still have like the old high elf on Griffin, I think, like the high marshal. Mm-hmm. It looks like a Griffin. It's an eagle lion type thing. It's probably the other, the hippogriff or whatever. Yeah, some some beast with wings. They're all the same thing. Um, but I would use that as a griffin, and then all of my Illyrian reavers will be my dark riders. Okay. So that the army is going sense. to grow out as I continue going to narrative events and looking at different armies I want to play, but they're all going to be one major force. That's awesome. It gives you a lot of flexibility. Yeah, I'm very excited with it. And it's something I've been like, it's one of those things where I have like an idea, but I can't flesh out that one idea, but I write mm-hmm. it down, tuck it away for later. And yep. suddenly a stack of those ideas are able to coalesce just because of this one book. I'm like, oh, finally, this project can exist. <laughs> yeah. And that's really how I feel about this book too. It's like, like I said, I've had these models for a long time. Um, I've got a, a decent amount of, uh, what are now called Wanderers, um, uh, Dwarden, you know, the, the Dispossessed, yep. um, that I, I'd still like to get mileage out of. And I think that Cities of Sigmar is going to be the best way to do that. Yeah. Um, you know, so I, I look forward to expanding the, the story of this army uh, quite a bit. And this book gives a ton of opportunities for telling that. Yeah, I'm excited to hear how your crusade goes. Um, <laughs> moving forward and that's kind of something i want to 
like see in future episodes because i know uh, kieran and paul they couldn't join us uh, for this episode unfortunately mm-hmm. because they have great positive life things going on which yeah. is awesome for them um but i know they both had talked about like oh well this book is coming obviously we need to do cities of sigmar armies right i want to hear their thoughts and then i want to see how f- these crusades start to blossom as games get played Okay, right. this this was the one thing that as as we started this season, like we all knew was on the horizon. Yeah, and like I picked Slaves of Darkness because I, you know, for a variety of reasons, I wanted to to work on that army, and um, I knew I wanted to run that path to glory. But always in the back of my mind, I knew like Cities of Sigmar is coming, and once it does, I'm gonna want to shift gears. I'm not even gonna be able to help it. Yeah. Um, so I do want to continue work on the slaves to darkness and telling that story, but I I've got to get this army off the ground. Cause this is too much fun. Yeah, no, it's, it looks like a blast. Um, like those are just the, the path to glory rules and, and summation. And then there are obviously new units that have new rules. Yeah. Um, we kind of talked about the defining thing for most of them, which is, the castellite keyword and like that castellite formation that they have. That's super cool. Yep. Um, there's a couple of war scroll battalions, um, that are specific to, uh, to either the, um, the Duarden or the elves. And then I think there's one for, you know, the castellite formation we talked about as a war scroll battalion. Um, I think they actually highlighted that on Warhammer community as well. Um, yeah. Well, so this is one of the stupid things in terms of GW naming there. The one they highlighted on Warhammer community is the matched play Castellite formation, which is oh, right. You get a one drop and one unit can do all out attack. Yippee. There's the path to glory Castellite formation, which is the same units as the match play one. But their ability is way cooler in Path to Glory. Yeah, so it's a this one's a War Scroll Battalion. The other yep. one is a Match Play Battalion. Yeah, it's a core Battalion. Yeah, yeah, core Battalion. So this one is uh, for your Castellite. It's one to two Fusil Majors on War Hulks, three Steel Helms or Fusiliers in any combination, and a Great Cannon. When a unit in this battalion receives the Inspiring Presence command, roll a dice for each other unit in this battalion wholly within 12 inches of that unit. On a 4-up, do not take Battleshock tests in that phase for the unit being rolled for. Mm-hmm. Which is super cool if you're it's talking... Huge. It's huge. But it's but it's important because when you when you look at the bravery of a lot of the units in this army. Um, it's fairly low. Um, you know, these, these guys, the mortal realms are scary and these guys are just like you and me, you know, they're, they're just humans out there trying to make the best of it. So sometimes, sometimes battle gets really scary and they run away cause they all have bravery five. Yeah. Um, so you've got to take that into consideration. And if there's a formation like the Castellite formation that can help offset that, um, it can help a lot in your battles. Yeah, definitely take it. I know we're running short on time, so I don't know how much we want to get into the war scrolls themselves. Yeah. Um, there are some good 
some other good reviews of this book uh, yeah. out there that, that go war scroll by war scroll. And I would definitely recommend looking at those. Um, was there anything in particular you wanted to highlight? Will? Um, no, I think the main thing is like, you've got your new, your free guild general replacement, which is the free guild marshal. Mm-hmm. One thing that can really bring out the flavor of your army is the free guild command core. Yep. Um, so for those of you who don't know, this is like a unit that follows your marshal around. It's kind of like a Gabapalooza if they were all combined, or it's kind of like all of the people that hang out with Catacros. Yeah. Um, and they just give cool bonuses. There's a, a knight. There is like an assassin. They call it a whisper blade. There's a field surgeon. Um, there's a cool thing called the gargoylean, I think is mm-hmm. how it's pronounced. Yeah. 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 That's what I think too. Perfect. Uh, which is just like, a, it's a mascot for your army. Yeah. So you can, and it do, could be anything. It could be anything. Yeah, yeah exactly. I was going to say, you can customize all these dudes, give them all their own cool characteristics, but the mascot car, the mascot dude, I'm not going to try to say that name twice. Um, it's just like the realms made manifest and they seek out people who are devout and they want to bring the realms back to normal. And they see the cities of Sigmar as the best way of doing it. And it can be anything. So if you want to do like a sea based Pat the glory army, you can take one of the fishies from the silt, the Ideneth or the mm-hmm. crab. And then yep. that's your theme. You know, you got a crab mascot, and if you're doing the castle-like formation, it's like the shell. If yeah. you want to be more Azerite, just put a Griffhound on there. Boom. Yep. You're, you're good to go. If you're doing anything Sylvaneth, just any sort of woodland critter or creature or like the little like arrow guys that they have, mm-hmm. the skitterlings, I think they're called. Mm-hmm. Riverlings. Um there's a lot of cool opportunities of creating some narrative and some theming for your army just with this one unit. And then you yep. can tie that into the story and seeing if there's anything you can do model wise or painting on the banners or anything like that to help give you that flavor. Cause anyone right. can do a free guild army, but not everyone can do like the 27th fighting crabs. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, exactly. I mean, you can you can go exactly as they have it painted up in the in the book um, with the the models that they're releasing. Those are amazing, but there's a lot of opportunity here for proxies and conversions and yeah. telling your own story for sure. Um, you know, I'm excited to see all the different arch knights that people come up oh, with. That's gosh. a that's a champion that goes in this uh, command core. It's just a, a big fighter, you know. So any sort of knight or fighter model that you've got that you wanted to, to get out there and you didn't know where else to use him, this would be a great place to put him. Yeah. Um, you've got the Sawbones, so a doctor-type character. Um, the one the one that they're releasing is so absolutely, <laughs> absolutely amazing, uh, gorgeous model. Um, I, w- I want to point out, too, although you, you will assign this to where you can assign this to a free guild marshal with a relic envoy, they don't have to stay with them. No, um, they can move around wherever they're needed, and there are a lot of bonuses 
that different characters of this core uh, provide as far as um, uh, bravery or, or helping with fleeing models, helping with retreating movements um, or, or charge rolls. Um, so there's, there's just a bunch of different bonuses that this command core can, can pass out and you can take more than one of the, these as well. Um, they're not a unique unit. They don't have the unique keyword anywhere in there. So you can have multiple command cores if you've got the points and the room in your roster for them. Yep. And they're also not heroes. Um, no. the other cool thing. Um, yeah. And like, they're, they're great, like rules wise, but I just love the idea of like, we, again, we mentioned how we both like to customize the personal aspects of our forces. Mm-hmm. I'm staring at a hundred hop grass. I, there's not enough names on all the names here <laughs> to get me there. Right. But I can come up with my own whisper blade and yep. that guy can form part of the narrative for my army. Like, well, how does he operate? Yeah. How does my arch knight work? Uh, or, or my arch knight uh, work in this army? And how does he help shape uh, the narrative? How do these people get along with each other? And like forming those connections is something I, I look forward to hearing people do. Yep. The other unit I'd like to highlight is the wider core hunters. They're the, uh, they're going to be a war cry war band. Yeah. Um, and they've already been previewed. They're full of character, but they're your skirmishers for your free guild. Um, these guys have the most amazing set of doggies in the mortal realms. Uh, they, right. I think there are out of the 11 models, five of them have are either a dog themselves or the, the leader has a dog on his base with him. Yeah. Um, now I've got a ton of crossbowmen from battle masters that I'd like to use as these, but I need to come up with dogs. Yeah. So I'm hmm. open to suggestions for dogs, um, especially ones that fit on 25 mil bases. Cause I think the, uh, all the, uh, Fenrisian wolves and stuff would be a little bit large. Yeah. But if I can, if I can source up some good dogs or other creatures that are about that size, yeah, I, I know. think they're going to become my, uh, my free guild water core hunters. Yeah. I, I love it. Well, and it reminds me of the underworld's war band, which is like the witch hunter retinue that also comes mm-hmm. with two dogs. Yep. And when that came out, everyone's like, okay, the witch hunter looks like a witch hunter. Everyone else there has their own cool, unique, style and they were trying to figure out if that was going to be the style for cities of sigmar or if it's Mm -hmm. a one-off thing and the answer Mm -hmm. is well it's definitely not the style for cities of sigmar but they don't clash as much especially with the wildecor hunters that are out here yep so i think that's super cool and then also you can steal those dogs but that is expensive if you're going to source dogs (laughs) just with that box right right um yeah and that's kind of it because the majority of this army even though we've been talking about the new release and the new models and everything the majority of these war scrolls are pre-existing yep um so and there's a lot of cool changes to them and changes to how they work because my theory is that when the cities of sigmar battle tome first came out 
I don't think they really had much of a plan for these groups. Um, I think they kind of knew they were going to do humans down the road. And I think they wanted to just do just humans. But the Cities of Sigmar, the first battle tome was like the holdover. Yeah. Shove them in there, keep their rules, whatever, who cares? No one's going to play this. And then Mm -hmm. it became insanely popular because we've been waiting for a book for just like the normies. Yeah, and and a lot of people had these armies. I mean, think about all the the Warhammer Fantasy Battles armies that got rolled over into Cities of Sigmar. You had significant portions of High Elves, Dark Elves, Wood Elves, Dwarves, Empire, Bretonians. Um, Yeah, uh, I mean, so you're talking five armies basically got either directly rolled into or best represented by cities of Sigmar. Um, So it's, it makes sense that it's going to be a popular army um, just from collections. People already had out there that were already out in the wild. And then of course, now that they've written a lot of great stories about cities of Sigmar um, or, or relating to cities of Sigmar along the way, it's just increased the popularity of the army. Yeah, for sure. And I think that kind of shows a bit in how they wrote the War Scrolls. Not that everyone got a bonus. I mean, some of them got nerfed. Mm-hmm. But I feel like there's a bit more identity um, to how like these different sub-factions work. Um, yeah. That I think... It just felt like a mishmash with the previous book. And don't get me wrong, it still does. Because it's old world models with new age of sigmar models all in the same book but i think they did a a good job of like oh these aren't just dark elves these are the order serpentis and this is how they work in aos and this is how the dispossessed work um and kind of trying to show that through the rules i think they did a a decent job of like creating those identities instead of just like i don't they have cloaks give them cover who cares Right. And and th- I think they introduced the sum in the uh the second edition Battle Tome, but they really put it into this one. Yeah. Is the characters that you choose, the the heroes that you choose are really gonna shape what units you take. Yeah. Because you wanna synergize them. Um a lot of the heroes hand out direct bonuses to their type of units. Um, you know, the free guild marshal on foot is handing out direct bonuses to free guild on foot. The cavalier marshal is handing out direct bonuses to cavaliers. Um, they just synergize really, really well. The um, dispossessed uh, general, I can't think of his name right now. Um, he hands out bonuses and um, allows, basically, they took that um, that ability that we saw a lot in the slaves to darkness where when this hero fights another another unit can fight with them um you see that all over this this battle tome now so whichever hero you've got and you're getting into combat he's going to bring a bodyguard along with him and they're going to fight along with him so you want to synergize your your heroes and your units as best as you can yeah And, and you're right that was a big thing in the second edition battle tome which is why like a lot of people have been complaining that this book separating these different sub factions it's a legitimate complaint 
But it was in the second edition book too. The free guild general only gave bonuses to free guild. The sorceress only cared about darkling covens like that. That's not changed from the previous book. No, but it is. It's important to call it out. Like, hey, maybe we shouldn't. You know. Yeah, and, and to go back to what I was talking about earlier in the episode, like honestly, I thought that might be a reason why Games Workshop would move away from the racial keywords. Yeah, same. And just be like, hey, you know, we know this has been a thing in the real world, and we don't agree with it, so we're just gonna fully integrate this army and not pay attention to the racial differences. Yeah. But and like if they, because they can still do all of that stuff with sub faction keywords. Yeah. Like, you you definitely could. Um, and I will say in the narrative of the book, um, they've definitely moved away from splitting things up. Um, in Broken Realms, they made it seem like really bad. A huge plot point was the divide between elves and humans, especially in yeah. Elsis. The new book is moving away from it. It's going, hey, no, that was one city that really messed up. Everyone else is cool. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, and, and you're right. In the Lord, these are very metropolitan, integrated societies. Um, it just seems a little bit odd that they still focus on uh, creating these separations when it comes to yeah. the battlefield. Um, but to back to my point that I keep on straying from, um, which is it's not a huge change from the previous edition of this army. No. So the only real difference is the or, the new order system. There are human, elf, and dwarven specific orders. Mm-hmm. But that also kind of goes into the different play styles for those armies to a small extent. Not as much for things like, um, like the shooting orders. I feel like that should be for everyone who has ranged weapons. But um, And then the only other one is like certain sub-factions lean on specific um subgroups excelsis likes yeah. its cavaliers um lethus likes its human priests but other than that like it's not that different from what we had before no it, it's not but yeah so i think the book itself is super cool in terms of path to glory i this far outclasses anything else i've seen not necessarily right. that it's quote-unquote better but just in how it's taken this path to glory system and completely twisted it around to play entirely differently, but it's yeah. still distinctly path to glory. It's not like they rewrote and went, you know what? Everyone else has path to glory, but we have our own thing. It's like, no, yeah. it, this is path to glory, but a very unique path to glory. Yeah. And it, again, uh, path to glory at the end of the day is telling the unique story of your army. Yeah. Um, this particular set of Path to Glory pay, plays a little bit differently than what players playing other armies are going to be experiencing. Um, but it gets it allows you to tell that cool story of a Dawnbringer Crusade going out and settling a new city. Um, and it's something that you and your opponents all get to participate in the telling of. Yeah. So I think I think that no matter where you are um, in a group or, or a, a Path to Glory campaign, you can introduce some cities of Sigma, cities of Sigmar armies, and tell these stories. And it doesn't have to interrupt what everybody else has been doing um, in the campaign. I'm just thinking of 
like an existing campaign or a league that's going on somewhere that down the road is like, oh yeah, there's the City of Sigmar player. Oh, he's on Crusade. Oh, cool, cool, cool. And then a few weeks later, it's like, oh, did you hear? John founded his city. Yeah. He's got like, okay. And like that can like, if people are actually talking to each other and sharing those stories, it's something that could like be cool to share with the group. Like, oh, I'm the one who prevented him from crossing the plains by beating him yeah. in time and stuff like that. Like having a landmark moment of establishing a city or having another big landmark, I think is something that is super cool for gaming groups to like be able to tell the story of. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's a fun part of the quest system anyway. Yeah. And this just kind of ramps up the quest system into a whole narrative for your army um, where you're, you're telling this very specific story. And like you said, everybody gets to play a part, you know? So uh, I think it can be celebrated along the way and everyone can lean into the role that they're playing, whether it's, uh, you know, ally or villain or um, or the hero themselves yeah. uh, as the, the crusaders. Um, was there anything going back to the uh, the war scrolls? Uh, was there anything about this now that we've seen the actual full battle tone that surprised you or that you expected to see that we don't see in here? Um, I mean, there's obvious there's like my wish list units that I would have liked to have, but like, I don't know if any of those were realistic. Um, I think the main thing is like, yes, we know that you can just proxy anything for anything. If you like having mm-hmm. your outriders, you can use them as dark riders. Yeah. Your great swords can be executioners. I'm surprised we didn't see versions of those. Um, with the new free guild release of like, well, what would outriders and pistoliers look like with the cool new guns? Like, yeah. Um, what would like, how would great swords appear in this? Cause they, cause free guild lore up until this point has been like, they're the mercenary companies yeah, and they're not always the most well-funded because the models didn't all have shoes. Uh, but the great swords were always the elite because they were based off the uh, Zavihanda uh, mercenary units in the real world who were mm-hmm. fancy as heck. They had the most amazing medieval drip. Yeah. Um, so like we already have like the dirty, like down to earth steel helms. What would the cool fancy veteran mercenary dudes look like? Even if yeah. they didn't have two handed weapons, I kind of wanted to see like that divide and that difference. Yeah, like a, a like a dedicated bodyguard or elite unit yeah. for for the free guild. Yeah, and it, you know it is interesting because we've seen the free guild go from originally they were just these mercenary companies, and they they've kind of clung on to that description, but they're kind of also the the levies of the the cities. Yeah, so it's always been like the weird thing with like how free guild has been in AOS. Yeah, um, I guess my surprise is is actually what they left in. Um, we knew that the the executioners and the the black guard were staying in. Um, I didn't expect the dark, the uh, dark riders to make it in this cut, and they they actually kept them in. So, uh, and there there's a lot of good reasons, you know, like you said, you can proxy your pistoliers. Um, you can, you know, a lot of people still had dark riders. 
Yeah. Here is my guiding light um, moving into this book. And the thing that surprised me was actually the dispossessed. Because my guiding light has been based on what they've been doing with Horus Heresy and 40k is if it was getting a an actual book in the old world, it was leaving cities of Sigmar. Mm-hmm. Which happened to all of the high elf units. It happened to all of the wood elf units, like the wanderers. Mm-hmm. Like anything that's Empire, except for like the big griffins and the luminarchs, those are out too. Yeah. I knew the Dark Elves were safe because they were marked as, well, they're getting a PDF release. Oh. Like, oh, okay, so that means they're in AOS still. I was surprised because the dwarves are getting a book in the old world and are staying, but I think it's just because while there was you a think lot it would have been too drastic to just cut the dispossessed. I think because then it would just be human and elves. Yeah. And yeah. I think they needed to keep dwarves because right now there's only one full dwarf subfaction, which is the dispossessed. You've got the Ironweld Arsenal, but that's split with humans. Right. And Ironweld Arsenal was was almost all dwarves except for there were two yeah two war machines um then they got rid of the dwarf cannons and but kept the flying machines yeah so it and now it's now, flying yeah, machines it's, and steam tanks yep steam and tanks the great cannon oh yeah yeah um and the new great cannon is technically iron one also yeah the cannon honestly was a surprise for me um yeah like we knew, we knew they were bringing a you know uh, some sort of war machine. Yep. Um, they they had hinted at that, but when we actually saw it, I was like, "Wow!" They actually just went back to the great cannon, yeah. which has been a staple of of human <laughs> human forces in Warhammer since probably second edition or something. Yeah. <laughs> like it it was always there. Um, and so it was just really neat, especially, you know, personally, because I've got three cannons from Battlemasters and, and Empire. Um, so, you know, it, it fits. But I was just surprised. I thought they would go with something a little more esoteric or mystical um, or, or just plain old crazy yeah. for the mortal realms. So that does remind me of the thing that I was surprised by, which is the lack of cog fort iron weld representation because it's yes. been popping up the narratives like leading up to this showing up in uh, the broken realm series showing up in hammer and bolter showing up in like soulbound of like these crazy cool cog fort devices mm-hmm. and it's still in the the lore for vendicarum and graywater fastness Gray, mm-hmm. by the way graywater fastness has a golem like cog people mercenaries that's in the book it's in the lore yeah. there it exists uh and so like they're pushing that forward narratively but they didn't do anything model wise yet yeah <laughs> right i'm thinking if there is wave two it's going to yeah. be like the iron weld cog stuff oh, but that's that why so cool. the iron weld gray cannon was a surprise to me because it just looks like it's got the free guild cast a light design yeah. So, yeah. which, like, I'm not mad about. It looks phenomenal. Yeah. Uh, I was just hoping it was like dipping the toes and showing us what Iron Weld can look like in future releases. 
Right, right. Like a cannon on spider legs, like robotic yeah. spider legs or something. Yeah. Like they could have kept the shield. They still could have kept it like grungy and stuff, um, but just like something. Yeah. No, that, oh. that is surprising. Yeah, everyone, it's so funny. Um, just like everyone I talked to, like for ever since the first Cities of Sigmar book came out in second edition. Everyone thought, oh, yeah, when they come to AOS, it's going to be all COG stuff. They're going to move the technology forward because of what we see with the KO. Yeah. And arguably, we went further backwards in terms of, like, the way the firearms work. Right. right. We went went backwards in in the the actual tech. And then basically all the new models are almost one-for-one proxies for Bretonians. Yeah. In fact, the Bretonian archers came with spikes that you could put in front of them, which would represent your fortified positions. Oh, that's hilarious. <laughs> so if you have if you have an old Bretonian army, your ballista or your trebuchet is your great cannon. Your archers are your fusiliers. Your um, men at arms are your steel helms. Your knights are your cavaliers. Like. It's pretty much a one for one all the way down as far as the core of that army. I'm pretty sure also there is an old Dogs of War unit that's like crossbows and the Pavises. Yeah, there was. Boom. You've got your Fusiliers right there. Yeah. So like anybody with the old collection can step right into all these new War Scrolls. Yeah. Also, there's nothing stopping you from taking your old handgunners and one just calling them Fusiliers. And just saying that's good. Or just giving them a shield and calling them fusiliers and saying right. that's good. Originally, I thought I was going to have to put shields on the models, like these big puffy shields. Yeah. But then when I read the rules for the fortified positions, I think what I'm actually going to do is create like either um, some sort of barrier or, you know, a wall, maybe even shields latched together yeah. that I place in front of the unit. When they're in a fortified position. Like, and then when they're not, they're just running yeah. around. Um, I thought you were going to say something that I know I've done and I'm sure you've done in the past, which is you're going to fill some sandbags up. <laughs> <laughs> I've thought of it. Yeah, yeah. I thought about building these little sandbag markers and just putting those in front just of them. Those. Like, here's their, their fortified positions. Yeah. Yeah, I was going to say, and that also works for the, because there's like the ammo carrier in that unit. And they specifically yep. say in the War Scroll, the model doesn't count as a model in terms of rules. He's more of a condition marker. Same thing with the Relic Envoy. So yep. it gives people the freedom to just like do whatever with those, even like yeah. not, even just not even having a model and just having a coin yep. if you need to. But I'm really excited to see like stuff like with your, your guy with the puppet of how will you customize your Relic Envoy to look. Yeah. What's your ammo carrier going to be like? I, of course, still have all those uh, Noblars from the Ilgore kits. Oh, yeah. And so for my Hob army, I'm just going to use those. That'll be great. That'll be great. What are you doing with your Hobgrats for the Battle Priest? Because one of your Stillhelms out of 10 yeah. can be a Battle Priest. So I'm still trying to figure out what specifically to do with them to change it, but. The, they come with musicians. Oh, okay. So right yep. now, I'm just using the musician model. 
um, just because like they have very distinct poses. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I want to do something with it because the way he's yeah. carrying, like some of the musicians have drums. Yeah, I feel like I could maybe hollow out the drum and like green stuff something inside of it, like they're carrying a little relic. Oh yeah, um, that'd be cool. Yeah, I- I'm still trying to figure that one out. That's the yeah, the missing link, I would say. Uh, f- you could get the uh, could see if somebody's got extra um, horns of Hashut models, mm-hmm. or or the uh, just some bits from them, and put those Hashut helms on your battle priest. You know, I do have a a unit of those that I haven't touched, so I I have a bunch of those heads. Yeah, little priest of Hashut running around. Yeah, I might. Do that as soon as we're done recording. I'm going to go raid my bits box. <laughs> Thank you. That's why. Yeah, we, that's I'll why we see do pictures. It. Yeah, that's the real reason. I was going to say, if you need hobgrats, I have plenty on Sprue from Dominion. That I mean, I'll take them. Probably. Just we'll we'll talk. We'll yeah, because I've got I got my 40 hobgrat steel helms. I've got my 30 hobgrat fusiliers, and then 30 vanilla hobgrat slitters. That yeah. I'll probably use the steel helms. I just wanted to keep them as they are. Um, I, I built the Hograts from one Dominion box, and I think I have them from two more just on Sprue that I'm not. I'm not going to build. You're them. just like one. One was enough. <laughs> yeah, I was like, they're cool. I'll, I don't know if I'll even play with those. Yeah. So I'll keep them for now. But yeah, it's so funny. Leading up to third edition, I was just like, oh man, I hope we do like Hobgoblins because they're my favorite fantasy race. And then yeah. the box was announced and everyone's like, oh, cool. Then they saw the War Scrolls. We're like, hey, I'm not using these. Do you want I mean, them for free? It, it's sad because they are they are great models. And I'd, I'd love it if they leaned into like a real Hopground army. Yeah. Like it would be cool. But um, until then, I'm just, I've got too many other armies. Yeah. I, I, I'm always tempted. I might do it now as cities of sigmar but i was always tempted to just take only hopgrats to holy havoc and just (laughs) my warlord i have a actually i have him right here it's a hopgrat on top of a troll um oh nice is that an amble uh no it's just a it's a 3d printed troll Oh, okay um i was gonna use him as like the beast breaker on Mm-hmm. Meyer boot, Trigon, yeah. whatever. Yeah. Um, but it's a 3D printed version of an animosity character, and I gave him oh, cool. the horns of a shoot bident. Because I'm like, oh uh-huh. wait, that auric on there has a bident, and the horns of a shoot have a bident. So oh, yeah. nice. Uh but the only downside is that I would have to have one unit of cruel boys. Right just for battle line reasons. And I'm like, I don't want to do that. No. But now cities of hob. So that's the way to do it. Yep. I like it. All, All right. right. Any final notes? No, I think, I think that's it for this one. All right. Thanks well, so much. This was a lot of fun. Yeah. I loved it. I like talking about it. Even if I'm not good at it, like yeah. playing the game. <laughs> right. Right. Like I like dissecting rules and seeing how things work together, but. Well, yeah, like I'm not going to go into how the Cavaliers with Excelsis pass out mortal mortal wounds on the charge. And so I'm I'm still torn as to whether or not I do 
three units of five or do I just do one of 15 and just smash? Just hand them like, here you go. <laughs> <laughs> like it will make it harder to achieve my crusade because quest points, I get three if I get all three units a- across yeah. versus the one. So if I'm gaming it, you know, maybe I go with the five, but that unit of 15 knights just smashing into stuff is. Yeah. Yeah. Still trying to decide which sub faction to go with. I'm thinking Greywater Fastness or Misthaven. Oh, that'd be cool. Yeah. Um, just because yeah. I have the Fusiliers, Greywater Fastness is cool, you know. Mm-hmm. But I like the idea of a Misthaven of just like moving up slowly in the shadows for Hopgratz. Oh, I, I love the Misthaven so uh, cool. lore. And if I hadn't have already set my guys in Gur. I would seriously consider it, but I was like, you know what? I I set him in Gur. Let me just do Excelsis. It just happens that it works well with the knights, but yeah. Well, so um, yeah, that's the thing. The my original Hopgraph Forest I put in Gur just because, like, oh, it's the beginning of the edition. Ha ha. Yeah. Um, I'm debating if I want these guys to be different, but you're you know you're free to do anything differently. Absolutely, and, and yeah, when they go on. Crusade, they could have left from one realm and gone into another realm. Yeah. And also, like the Hobrats, the first faction of Hobrats I made, undetermined if these will be the same ones. Uh, I mean, they worked with the Cruel Boys. They came from the swamps. Misthaven, moving slowly in the shadows, that's something mm-hmm. that they do in the swamps with their dirty tricks and stuff. So it it fits that narrative. It does. But... I'm going to still, I wrote all my list and then I'm like, wait, what's my sub faction again? Man, I've got like three different cities of Sigmar armies in my collection that I want to run. Cause there's also one I want to do with, um, uh, like flagellants. Yeah. They've get, they took out our warrior priest. I mean, I can always run them as legends, but I've still got this guy. Luther Huss. Ooh, yeah. I replaced the hammer for narrative reasons a long time yeah. ago. It's a, like a, a wolf's head. Oh, um, that's awesome. But now I could use him as a, a cavalier marshal. Yeah. Um, but lead a bunch of flagellants and um, put him in like Vindicarum or something. Yeah. You could do Vindicarum or you could do Lethus and that could or be Lethus. a yeah. wolf god that he worships and he's now a priest again yeah give him his priest abilities again oh that would be so much yeah. fun yeah was, the hard part for me was deciding which cities the sigmar force to do because i've got my dark elves kothgar um that i might still play some games with they're always like if i'm playing a solo game i use them as the npcs okay yeah i just love the idea of like dragons and hydras and dark elves yeah um but yeah. they're allied with the seraphon and like draconith so I was kind of hoping we got Seraphon allies. Uh, I still have my Cog Fort Elves, uh-huh. which I'm going to run. I think it's like allies to this. They're going to go with the rest of the High Elves. But Games Workshop sent us a box, and I'm going to get a unit of uh, Steel Helms out of that box. Awesome. And I'm like, well, now I have a narrative for those guys. Yeah. Um, I actually have two different ideas for narratives for those guys that I haven't settled on yet. But since I have too many cities of sigmar projects as it is <laughs> i'm gonna wait until more models fall into my lap yeah to make decision yeah but it's torn between them being allied with the undead and kind of doing an ulfenkarn type thing 
or mm-hmm. them coming from Cayman and trying to clear the cursed skies by oh, building yeah. up a geomantic nexus. But I need to decide when those models come so I can paint them for release day. Yeah. So we'll see. Oh, that'll be cool. Yeah. That'll be cool to see. Especially the new stuff with the the transfers and everything. Well, dear listeners, our fire has at last burned down to embers and we must take to the path once more. If you enjoyed your time with us, consider leaving us a positive review on your podcast platform of choice, or you can leave a tip over on our Patreon at themortalrealms.com slash Patreon. If you'd like to share your stories with us, you can head on over to our Twitter at Path to Story, or you can chat with us on our Discord at themortalrealms.com slash Discord. Finally, if you'd like to keep us company on the road, Harry, where can they find you online? Uh, the best place to find me would be on our Discord server. Again, that's themortalrealms.com forward slash Discord. And um, I'm on there as Harry or Buddy C. And you can find me occasionally on Twitter, probably more than I should be on Twitter, uh, at Toy Soldier Fun. And you can find me, Will, uh, on our Discord as well under the name Sever. That's the most reliable place to find me as we are experiencing social media death. <laughs> um, but you can also find me on Twitter and on threads at Age of Sever. And if you're lucky enough to get a Blue Sky invitation, you can find me there simply at Sever. Thank you for listening, and we'll see you again real soon. Oh,